So now you know why I'm looking forward to heaven, so I can spend it with Camille. Um, first, I want to thank the Lord for this church and for the invitation, for the time that I spent here. I want to thank the Spires for hosting me. Um, I want to thank uh, everyone that I had uh, a meal with, uh, the elders, uh, the pastor, uh, the school, the kids. I love the kids. Uh, I wish I could stay a few more days. And... Uh, <clears throat> made me want to go back and be a child again. Uh, I know some of you <clears throat> came because you wanted to know the other five points. <laughs> How many of you did? Come on, tell the truth. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I'm going to tell you the five points at the very end. <laughs> but I'd like to put the seven points against the backdrop of a picture that I hope you will never forget in your life. Because it is the backdrop of the entire plan of God. From beginning to end. Can everybody hear me? Is this loud enough? All right. I alluded to it in the previous hour. Because God did not come to earth just to do a or perform a task and be done with it and go back to heaven. But he's been here all along. Hebrews chapter 1, beginning with verse 1, illustrates that. He's been talking to people all along in different ways, in different forms in different places. And I can truthfully say that the whole story revolves around the person, the majesty, the glory, and the love that we find in Christ Jesus. Because he was the only one who succeeded in reflecting the love of the Father to him. And all he wants us to do is to reflect his love, his kind of love to the world around us. That makes it, and that's the only way it can be, a universal message. And that's why I have a problem personally. I have a problem with denominations or with certain groups or churches that say, our church is the church. And I have to ask him, where was your church in the Old Testament? How can I take your church to all the world? But I can truthfully say that I can take Jesus to all the world. And they all will come to him. Because he died for all of us. And that's why sometimes I start by asking the question, how many of us have lived according to the Ten Commandments? I mean, they were only ten, not twenty, not a hundred, just ten. 
How many here lived according to the Ten Commandments? Every one of them? Because one of them says don't lie. So why did God give us the Ten Commandments? How many of us know the golden rule? We know it, don't we? I go to a restaurant, a barbecue restaurant, called Golden Rule Barbecue. There's nothing about the golden rule there. A lot of grease. And a lot of people who try to live according to the golden rule my guess is that they don't have that much more than just grease. But who lived according to the golden rule? Nobody. So I have to ask, why did God give it to us? Because he wants to bring us to the person who reflected all there is to God in human form. So that we as ambassadors for Christ, we would reflect all that Christ is in human form to everybody around us. Do you see the picture? The relationship between Jesus, the Son of Man, and the Father is exactly the kind of relationship he wants us to have in relationship to him. To Christ. And the only one who kept him in this relationship, namely the Holy Spirit, is the only one who can keep us in a relationship with him here. Do you get the picture? Think about it. He had nothing of himself. And he said that. He said, I have nothing. Whatever I hear, I tell you. He didn't have an army, he didn't have a school, he didn't have an academy, he didn't, have a, uh, he didn't write any books, he didn't do anything. He had nothing. But yet people kept coming to him. I mean, we go to somebody who has resources. Jesus had nothing on earth. He just had the Father. And that's all he needed. And that's why he didn't run around like a chicken with the head chopped off. That's why he was not attracted and moved by doing more and more social work. He fed the multitudes, but that was not why he came. May I respectfully say that he did not come to save the world. He came to do the will of the Father. And his relationship with the Father is what he offered us to have the same kind of relationship with him. And the only common denominator between the two is the very Holy Spirit of God, who is all of God. He kept him here. He keeps us here. He empowered him here. He empowers us here. He filled him here. He fills us here. He gave him a learning mind and heart to know the Father. He gave him an obedient spirit. He taught him obedience. Isn't that what Hebrews 5.8 says? Even though he was a son, he learned obedience through suffering, 
And when he was perfected, when he was brought to the very end, I'm trying to absorb this picture. Because he was willing to break away from the Father. And that's why he cried, why did you forsake me? And he was willing to do that. So that none of us would say to him, why did you leave me alone? Now, let me put it in context. If our neighbor dies, we miss him. If one of my friends dies, I miss him. If my best friend dies, I will definitely miss him. If my wife dies, then I almost lost her. It's a whole different story. And I didn't live with her more than 37 years. How much is it for the one who lived with the Father? From eternity past. Perfect union. Perfect communion. Perfect fellowship. Perfect mind. Perfect love. He had all of that right here. And then in John chapter 17. He didn't say, Father, would you give them seminaries? He didn't say, Father, would you give them money? He said, Father. I want them to have the same love that you and I had from before the foundation of the world. That's how much he loved us. Think about it. Don't say God doesn't love you. Because he does. He said not only I want them to have the love we had, I want them to have the union that you and I have. Does it not surprise you that every single prayer the Son prayed on earth as a Son of Man, the Father answered? How many times we pray? We don't get an answer. But every prayer he prayed, and sometimes he would say, Father, I thank you because you answered me. That's not audacity. That's knowing fully the will of the Father, and that was exactly the consuming desire in his heart. So I'm going to translate it to human language. I don't think we're being fair to him to push the pause button for him so I can finish my career and retire. And then I push the play button and say, Lord, okay, I'm now done with the world. I have my money in retirement. I have my Social Security. I don't know how long it's going to last. What do you want me to do? 
Now, he has no problem using anybody and everybody. And we don't have to be perfect for him to use us. But I don't think we're being fair to him by putting him on pause so I can do what I want. And that was Peter's problem. Peter said, Lord, I don't think you need to go to, je- I don't think you need to go to the cross. Don't bother with that. I won't let it happen. As a matter of fact, I would go for you. Even I would go to jail. I would go to die for you. Was he not honest in his claim? Of course he was. He wasn't lying. But his intention was according to what Peter wanted. Why? Because the Lord said to him and the rest of the disciples, the Son of Man must suffer and die and he will rise again. They didn't get that last part. And Peter didn't like that. And then Jesus looked to Peter, and he said to the rest of them, he said, if you want to be my disciple, the first thing you need to do, forget about yourself. Can I put it in human language? My will, pause. My career, pause. My aspirations, pause. My vision, pause. The girl I'm going to marry, pause. Lord, what do you want me to do? And that was Peter's problem. And finally, Jesus spelled it out for him. He said, okay, Peter, you either deny yourself or you deny me. Peter could not negotiate. But he could not do the first thing. And that's when he fell. And all Jesus had to do was look at him. And it says in the passage, and then Peter remembered that the Lord said that to him. But that's what's so amazing about the Lord. He knew what Peter was going to do. And that's why he said, Satan is going to shake you and try to tear you down and rip you apart. And then he looked to Peter and he said, but I prayed for you that your faith will not be completely demolished. And when you come back, I want you to strengthen your brothers. But Peter's faith was demolished. And the only faith he had left was what Jesus was calling from the Father to hold on to with Peter. And Peter changed completely. And so he writes in his letter and he says, I, Peter, the elder, your brother, I beseech you to submit one to another. Be humble under the heavy hand, the powerful hand of God. That's not Peter. That's Christ in Peter. So the backdrop of the relationship of the Son of Man to the Father and the relationship of us to Christ and the working and powerful spirit in both is the backdrop of the seven things I want to share with you. These are things we talk about. I talked briefly on Wednesday about two of them. 
We can spend an entire day about every one of them talking. But this is just tasting the good food that he offers us. One of the practices we have in Lebanon or the Middle East, when we have a big table of all kinds of food, the person who prepared the food, uh, suddenly the guests starts coming, start coming, and as they come in, first they smell the good food, right? All fresh. And they look in the kitchen, and they want to stay in the kitchen to eat. And so the hostess gets a piece of lettuce, for example. How many of you have tasted tabbouleh? You know what tabbouleh is? Oh, my goodness. Is there tabbouleh at lunch? <laughs> there is no tabbouleh? I'm not going to finish this. <laughs> but the hostess gets a piece of lettuce, dips it in the tabbouleh, all juicy oil and lemon juice and fresh parsley and chopped onions and chopped tomatoes and cracked wheat and... Yum. She dips it in it and she says, would you taste, right? And then being gracious, she says, tell me, does it need salt? Does it need anything? She knows it doesn't need anything. <laughs> so that's what I'm trying to do. And I'm asking the Lord to open our eyes to see how awesome, how glorious the Lord is. And that's why the verse says in Psalm 34, taste and see that the Lord is good. Taste. We can't eat the whole thing. But he doesn't hesitate to offer. Taste it. And we taste it. All our life we taste it. We taste his goodness. We taste his mercies. We taste his kindnesses. We taste that though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because you are with me. How many times we thank him? We take and take and take and take. We don't thank. It's not enough. My only son, Jonathan, he's 28 years old. When he was about 12, I started something very special with him, and I would encourage every father to do that. I said, son, I want to go have breakfast with you once a week, every Saturday. We go to the IHOP. And uh, we've been doing that until now. We sit at the same table. We order pretty much the same food. And um, I told him, I want to eat with you, because not because we like to eat. We do like to eat. We can eat at home. But I want to spend some time with you, because I want you to know Dad. I want you to know how I think. I want you to know about the world around you. I want you to hear it from the horse's mouth. I want you to know how much I love you. I want you to know about girls and the headaches they cause. <laughs> I want you to know about your mom. I love you to death, but you always come second.
And so we spent the better part of 16 years. And so one day I decided to give him a quiz. I said, Jonathan, we're going to go to Arby's. We're going to grab a quick biscuit and sit in the car and eat it. And I wanted to see, does he want IHOP or does, what is he going to say? And then you can see the wheels turning and then he says, Dad, I don't care where we go as long as I'm with you. Do we say that to God? Don't we pray the Lord's Prayer and we say our what? Our Father. If he brings us through suffering, through trials, through temptations, through all kinds of headaches, do we say to him, I don't care where you put me. I don't care what you bring. I'm just grateful that I'm with you. And so <clears throat> another Saturday, we made it to the IHOP about 7 o'clock and we were sitting across the table from each other and we started eating. We didn't say a word. We almost finished the food. We didn't say a word. Then Jonathan looks up to me and he says, Dad, this is the best time of my life. Do we come to God sometimes and we say, Lord, I don't want anything from you. I have no sin to confess that I'm bothered about. I'm not going to pray and ask you for anybody to help him. I'm not going to even thank you. I just want you to know how much I love you. He's waiting for that. And that's what Jesus meant when he said, I want them to have the same love that you and I had from way back when. And we do that in prayer. That's number one. I want to mention some passages. You can read them later. The first one is found in Genesis chapter 4, the very last verse, verse 26. Adam and Eve kicked out. Cain kills Abel. Lamech has a crime, commits a crime. They have kids and grandkids, and they're all scattered. Adam and Eve still remember the good old days. And you can tell that they regret it. And then Eve has a child and she says, maybe the Lord will start fresh this time. And then at the very tail end of the chapter, they had all kinds of fightings and invasions and killings and all of that. And at the very last verse, verse 26, it says, and they began to call upon the name of the Lord. So I thought the next passage will illustrate and elaborate on that verse. And I'd like for you to turn with me to Psalm 34. I found in this psalm the greatest concentration of verses 
that address this very thought. I want to kind of browse through it very quickly. And I'd like for you to count the number of times calling upon the name of the Lord is mentioned. Beginning with verse 1. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make its boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear of it and be glad. O magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord. Literally, I called upon the Lord, and he heard me and delivered me from all my fears. They looked to him and were radiant. They reflected his glory, and their faces were not ashamed. The poor man cried out, and the Lord heard him, and saved him out of all of his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps all around those who fear him and delivers them. O oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in him. O oh, fear the Lord, you his saints. There is no want to those who fear him. The young lions lack and suffer hunger, but those who seek and call upon the name of the Lord shall not lack any good thing. Come, you children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of fear of the Lord. Who is the man who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Depart from evil and do good. Speak, seek peace and pursue it. The eyes, look at this verse, it's so awesome. The eyes of the Lord, that is his full attention, are on the righteous and his ears, both ears, are open to their cries. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil. To cut off the remembrance of them from the earth. The righteous cry out and the Lord hears and delivers them out of their troubles. The Lord is near to those who have a broken heart, and saves such as have a contrite spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He guards all his bones. Not one of them is broken. The prophecy about the Lord. Evil shall slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous shall be condemned. The Lord redeems the soul of his servants, and none of those who trust in him shall be condemned. How many times? Did anybody count? About seven, eight? Do you get the idea? Calling upon the name of the Lord. The third passage I want to mention is John chapter 17. The entire chapter, I call it the Holy of Holies. That's where we have a glimpse of how the Son thought of the Father and how the Father thought of the Son. And the pieces of that in that chapter that really, really get me is when the Son who knows the Father from eternity past says things like, O righteous Father, O holy Father. Knowing fully. This is the kind of relationship they had. He wasn't asking him, give me this and give me this and give me this. I have 5,000 I want to feed. Would you give me, please? He wasn't even bothered. He was never shaken. Even when he was under persecution and torture and suffering, and he stood alone in front of Pilate, and Pilate looked at him and he said, don't you know that I have authority to do this and that? And Jesus looks at him in total self-control, and this is a good sign of a believer who walks in the power of the Spirit. He is in full control when he has absolutely no control in the eyes of people. 
And he said, sir, you don't have any authority unless it was given to you from above. He wasn't being disrespectful. He was just putting him in his place. Listen, wherever you are, whatever suffering you're going through, he is still in charge. And he knows. And he is still walking through the valley of the shadow of death with you. So you and I will not be alone. Abraham was about to offer his son. God said to him, stop. Now I know that you love me because you did not keep your son from me. And the same words you and I can say, Father, thank you so much. Now I know that you love me because you did not keep your son from me. Prayer. Prayer is what triggered revivals around the world over the past 2,000 years. No prayer, no revival. Some people complain we don't have revivals, and the reason is we think we can do without, but we really can't. We need the Holy Spirit. Therefore, we need prayer. So I always pray, I always encourage people to pray. It doesn't have to be fancy and great and a big auditorium and all that. You can go in the woods and pray. Well, I don't have time. If you do a little research on the internet and just enter the words, how many hours people spend waiting throughout their life? At traffic lights, at the bank, at the security check, at the airport, and on and on the list of places. We just, we're just sitting there. We're waiting. That's a good time to pray. If you have a problem remembering, say, Lord, would you please remind me of people I need to pray for? Do you think he would do that? Of course. And if it helps, you can put on the dashboard some pictures, not your family, maybe people you don't like. Whoops. Maybe people you can't stand. You know you're going to spend eternity with them. You might as well practice here. And you will add a little sugar on your heart so you can be sweet to them. Prayer. The Lord prayed. Do you want to be like him? I had a pastor very sad to tell you. One pastor told me, he said, I am so busy in the ministry, I asked my wife to pray for me. Mm. Second thing. So we don't appreciate the power of prayer. Second thing, we don't appreciate the power of the word of God. The Word of God is not only God-breathed and inspired, but it has power because it has life. And I can tell you tens of stories, one after the other, of people that just could not put it down. They start reading. 
especially Muslims now. If they can get their hand on the word of God, one lady rode the bus from Saudi Arabia to Jordan. 24 hours one way, because she just wanted to hold the Bible. She's never seen the thing. And the pastor that gave her the Bible is the one who told me. He said she came into our home, and she had her room, and she, she walked in, and she, she was very shy and didn't know what to say, and so we helped her feel at home. And, and she said, can I see the Bible? She's been doing Bible studies, but all she got was about three lines of Scripture in the email. And next email she gets another three lines, and so on. She wants the whole thing. And so she, they gave her a Bible. And they said the whole night she was pacing back and forth. So in the morning they asked her, you couldn't sleep? Were you upset about something? She said, no. She said, I was I was holding the Bible to my chest. And I was pacing back and forth. And I was saying, thank you, Father. Next time, you hold the word of God. Hold it to your chest. Thank God for it. He watched over it 1,500 years to fulfill it. Forty authors, every one of them, was governed by the Holy Spirit. Not a single word is out of place. Not a single word is extra. Not a single word is missing. Every word the Holy Spirit gave to have the full impact, the full presence. And the purpose is not for us to analyze it, but it's for it to analyze us and condemn us and bring us to the cross of Christ. That's the purpose of the Word of God. And people that get a hold of it, Muslims, they cannot put it down. One of the elders in our church spent a few years in a Muslim country and he was talking to a guy that he picked up on the, on the road, a hitchhiker. Talked to him about the Bible. He said, I've never seen the Bible. He said, would you like to have one? I wish somebody would give it to me. So he said, would you open the dashboard? The glove compartment, I mean. He said, there's one there for you. So they opened it. There was one. He took it. After a while, he got to the exit where he needed to drop him off. He dropped him off, and he was still reading. He got out of the car. Bye. He was still reading. And he said, I went down the road and I was looking in the rearview mirror. And he was still reading. He couldn't get his eyes off of it. Do you love the Word of God like that? Hmm? How many Bibles do we have on our shelves? There are some places that don't have one. I'm very happy to tell you that in Bangladesh, about a year or so ago, 
they ordained 191 pastors. I know you're not Baptists. You can say amen. <laughs> Baptists don't do anything. Usually they sit in the back, so I'm glad to see some people around here. In front. There are some people who are dying to hear the word of God. Not my words. Just the word of God. I visited a Muslim at home, and he, he was bragging about how, how much he read the Quran and he memorized the Quran, and I thought, I'm going to put him to the test. So I started talking to him about sin and about what God has done, and I was quoting verses to him. I quoted the first one. He quoted one for me from the Quran. I quoted the second one. He quoted the second one from the Quran. I quoted the third one. He quoted the third one. I quoted the fourth one. He went back to the first one. And I quoted the fifth one. I quoted the sixth one. He just sat there and looked at me. And after about three hours, I told him, I really need to go home. He said, no, 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 no. I want you to stay and tell me more. I love the Word of God. It has life. You know why we don't read it? Because it condemns us. It tells us what we need to do. And we don't like anybody to tell us what we need to do. Because we don't like to change. And the Word of God does just that. It changes us. Because it brings life to areas of our life that have death in them. Try it. You like it. You might say, like that commercial says, I tried it and I thought I was going to die. <laughs> well, you died already. So. <laughs> but he brought you back to life. And praise God for that. Power of prayer. Power of the word of God. Just uh, before I came here, Last week, we finished packing about 74 boxes of used clothes. Would you like to send used Bibles overseas? They would love to have them. We can put them, we have another container getting ready. About 20 people in our church worked on this project. And uh, they said, Pastor John, why can't we do this two or three times next year? But we just might do that. And the way the Lord works is that when I called the trucking company to come pick up 74 boxes, um, initially they gave me a price that was bearable. Then they gave me a price that was like 8500 something. I said, I'm not going to pay that. And I have the boxes in your terminal now. So what are you going to do about that? She said, well, I'm sorry, sir. I cannot ship them for you. I said, well, can I talk to your manager? She said, yes, sir. One moment. And she was gone. I guess she talked to her manager and told her what was going on. Manager say, uh, came and she said, Pastor John, what can I do to help you? I said, I need to ship these boxes for this price. She said, okay, let me see what I can do. And during that time, guess what I was doing? She came back, and guess what she did? She gave me the price. It was about one-eighth of the big price that the other girl gave me. You know who adjusted the accounting system in their, in their company? 
some, somebody who adjusts the whole universe. And he calls it out by name. He's my daddy. Power of prayer. Power of the word of God. Number three. The power of the Holy Spirit. The power, the person, the presence, the work of the Holy Spirit. When I was pastoring American church in Ohio, we spent about a year and a half studying the person, the power, the work, the presence of the Holy Spirit. They got an earful. Then we spent about six months talking about prayer. And then the Lord brought us. All of a sudden, he just walked in. A person that I've, we've never met before. And uh, afterwards, you know, when he came in, I asked him during the meeting the guests, I asked him to introduce himself. We said, I'm Pastor so-and-so. Uh, he said, I, uh, I came from this town close to us. And um, the reason we're here is, to be honest with you, because they, I had to tell them that I had cancer in my bones and liver, and they told me that they cannot pay for the insurance, and so they asked me to leave the church. And so we, my wife and I, we're driving down the road, and we saw um, this, uh, this building where you are, and we decided to come worship with you. So they came in, and um, afterwards, and the guy was like 400 pounds. He blocked the door when he walked in. And afterwards, it got so bad, we could smell. Even when we were praying, our eyes had closed. We knew that he walked in the door because we smelled the, the cancer that was eating him alive. And then something happened. Church members, one after another, they would call and they would say, Pastor John, we've been studying about the Holy Spirit. We've been studying about prayer. The Lord sent us Bill. Can we pray for him? Sure. Next day, somebody else called. Next day, somebody else called. On Sunday, somebody says, can I see you in your office? Yeah. Can we pray for Bill? Almost two-thirds of the church, one at a time. Can we pray for Bill? Then one Sunday I said, okay, we're not going to have a program today. We're going to pray for Bill. And this is why, because you've been telling me that. And so we prayed for Bill. It was Sunday night. And I said, let's just pray. Let's go anywhere in the building and just spend time in prayer. The last one, lock the door and go. At 10.30, my wife and I were the first to leave. They were praying, and they were serious. Two weeks later, on Sunday night, anyone would like to share any praise item? Bill raises his hand. He said, I just want to share with you, we went to the VA doctor and he, to do the routine test and follow-up, and, and we waited in the waiting room. We, he came back and he said, I need to do some more tests to check something. And he ran some more tests, and he came back and he said, I'm puzzled. Doctor, why? He said, because there aren't any cells that have cancer in them in your body. Does God answer prayer? You bet. Power of prayer. Power of the Word of God. Power of the Holy Spirit. I know I will be excommunicated from the church if I don't finish the seven. So I will just mention them. I will just mention them. Number four, the power of sin. Sin 
can destroy anyone, especially the great ones, or who think they are great. Number five, the power of spiritual warfare. We don't like to talk about that. Believe it or not, it's going on. As a matter of fact, that's the only thing going on. We don't fight people. It's demonic power that is causing destruction in the church of God. Number six, the power of the priesthood of every believer. Every person can walk into the Holy of Holies and say, Father, every person. We don't need to go through this saint or the other saint or this person or wait for the prayer meeting or at any time, at the traffic light, Father, right into his presence. I want to pray for so-and-so. I want to pray for so-and-so. I want to pray for Christy. I want to pray for John. Number seven. The power of the inseparable relationship between evangelism and discipleship. There is no such thing as faith without obedience. If you read Romans 1, you read Romans 8, uh, 16, beginning and end of Romans, that's all it talks about. Faith and obedience. Faith and obedience. When Paul writes to the churches, he thanks and he praises God because of their obedience into the faith. As children of obedience, he calls the believer. They cannot be separated. Even Matthew 28, 18 through 20. If evangelism is so important, why is it not mentioned as evangelism in those verses? Because it's part of discipleship. I cannot begin without continuing the journey with the, with the Lord. And the Holy Spirit who begins, he will continue it until the day of Christ. The first one, the power of prayer. Second one, power of the word. Third, Power of the Holy Spirit. Four, by the way, Pentecostals don't have a monopoly on the Holy Spirit. As a matter of fact, every church that has control by the Holy Spirit in it, he is working, and it doesn't belong to any one denomination. Power of the Holy Spirit. Number five. Number four, power of sin. Number five. Power of spiritual warfare. Number six, power of the priesthood of every believer. And number seven, the power of the inseparable relationship between evangelism and discipleship. Let me pray. So much, Father, we have to thank you. But most of all, above all, all around, all. We thank you for Jesus, who was obedient unto death, so that we can have life. So we pray, Lord, that you would enable everyone in this room, even and especially the ones who think they cannot, that you would fill them with your spirit and let them taste that the Lord is good. To that end we pray in Jesus' name.